from the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack, a broadcast that celebrates the talent and diversity of the LGBTQ plus community and their allies and provides a place to showcase their remarkable voices and stories. Welcome to another Not Thinking Straight. Very shortly, I'll be speaking with the founders and creators of Queers of Joy, a trans and gender non-conforming centred performance group based in Sydney, but about to head off in the new year to Melbourne for the Midsummer Festival, and you'll hear all about that. And then we head off to London to hear drag king Adam All talking about using drag to deconstruct, express and reclaim gender identity. And that's followed by our dear friends from I'm From Driftwood, whose special tonight is on non-binary voices. And something first for Not Thinking Straight, our second hour is entirely queer comedy, featuring some of my favourite queer comics, Rhea Butcher, Joel Kim Booster, Matt Albert, and my absolute favourite, Julio Therese. And there's a couple of great songs as well, Little Nell, See You Round Like a Record, and Eli Lieb's Young Love. I hope you have fun. I've got some fantastic guests on Not Thinking Straight today. Bright and fresh and smiley and looking forward to a great chat. They're a group called Queers of Joy, a project called Queers of Joy, and we're going to hear all about it, how it began, all sorts of things. So welcome, folks. We've got Malaika. Say hello. 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 <laughs> We've got Chris. Hi, Michael. Hi, everyone. And Gabriel. Hello. And Gabriel is going to speak to us first. So Queers of Joy, it's almost been a year since we had our very first performance and it probably has passed a year when we first got into conversations surrounding the creation of Queers of Joy. So Chris got in contact with me and a few other creatives saying, I think I have this really good idea surrounding a performance night for trans and non-binary people because there just isn't anything like it in the community. And I was like, wow, that's such an amazing idea. I think this is really brilliant. And I totally agree. Until Quiz of Joy, there really wasn't anything centered on our community and our part of uh, the LGBTQIA plus movement in Australia. And after a few meetings, we got a few of the kinks worked out and on December 1st last year, we were lucky enough to put on our first show and it was an amazing success with a lot of really positive feedback and wonderful experiences. And we've been doing it ever since. Initially, it was in person, so we were lucky to get sort of in between lockdowns. So we were lucky enough to have in-person shows and Chris organised for our first show to be put on at the Red Rattler in Marrickville in Sydney. And that that's sort of our home base now and where we've been doing our live shows. And I think we got to maybe four in-person shows before we went into second lockdown. And then I went and was like, well, you know what? Like a virtual show is possible. Do you feel like we could do it? And Chris was like, absolutely, let's do it. And also along the way, the wonderful Malaika joined us, I think pretty early on and we got their wonderful perspective and intelligence and experience experience and now we've formed this powerful dynamic trio three musketeers type deal that helps bring joy to all of our wonderful community out here oh fantastic mm. and that first show the live show was that a big crowd we were at yeah. 70 
Yeah, because we were limited to a one per four square meter rule at the time because we hadn't been out of that first lockdown very long. So we sold out two weeks before the start of the show, but it was only 70 people. <laughs> but 70 very, very happy people and very well entertained as well. Very enthusiastic gays. <laughs> yeah. Michael, was Brian Bucket at the first show? I should know this. No, we weren't. Yeah. I only saw oh, Queers of Joy after the first show. And okay. people were posting about it on social media. I was like, what is this? And it was it was for the second show that you all asked me to perform. And at the same time, I'd just been starting trying to get into events myself. And I had a conversation with Chris. I was like, this is amazing. I want to do stuff like this. And they were like, well, we've been looking for somebody to share the load a little bit. And do you want to, you know, get involved? And I was like, yes, yes. A thousand times yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't think people realise how much work is involved in putting together an event like that. It's it's a lot. An insane amount. Like Chris is, thank God, the most organised person that I've ever met and is happy for a chat with anyone and but it's like in this current day and age it's it's not just putting on a physical event it's finding people who want to donate to your raffle who want to be at the stalls who also want to show up and support and then there's the whole social media aspect of it because you have to maintain an online presence and you have to reach out to people because if people don't know that the event is on then well, they may miss out on an opportunity to really feel like they're part of the community. And because of the pandemic, your next production after that was a, an internet one, a Zoom. Was it done by Zoom? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. there were a few shows. So we did a few shows in real life and then got kind of hit by the pandemic. And uh, Gabriel had the amazing idea to do uh, Zoom shows. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I think we noted Chris's uh, hesitancy a little bit. They were a little bit worried that we won't be able to create the like electric, amazing community, trans non-binary vibe that we create in real life. But very quickly that was proven wrong because so many people just were really needing the space and wanting somewhere to somewhere to be something to do on a on a Thursday night and so when we started doing the online shows we kind of accessed a community that we hadn't even really thought of we were focusing on our Sydney trans non-binary community but then all of a sudden we had access to the entire world people from Sri Lanka Malaysia America uh, Kenya just zooming in from all over all of these amazing queer people who just wanted to kind of experience a little bit of the joy and um, that has been our saving grace for sure in the lockdowns just like something for us to look forward to something that we can put together for the community all over the world and we had the amazing experience of also having someone i noticed come to a few shows who was actually in hospital at the time so like the power of online community event really it doesn't just stretch internationally and that's great and i'm sure chris will talk about that in a minute but like you can give access to people who are disabled or who don't have the capacity to be able to go anywhere Mm-hmm. at no fault of their own and all they need is an internet connection and they're there and it was very emotional for some people i see on the video there are a couple of tears there people very moved that wouldn't normally have access to to talent and entertainment like that so good on you all that that was very moving thank you thank you is that available for people to to watch now some of those shows that were done that way or were they kind of one-offs or yeah there are recordings of those three shows that we've done and then 
I've got to decide how to give people access and also if they wanted to contribute to like the, the making of the show as well, because we're going to be live streaming our next events in December, as well as having it in person. And our shows are really expensive to put on because we pay all our performers. We have a videographer, photographer, Auslan interpreter for the next show. We have a choreographer. So we have a one element of the show is a group of first time drag kings. So they spend six weeks leading up to the show being choreographed by Danica Lani, who's my wife and uh, she's a, been a drag king for years and so she mentors them and they learn a routine and then they perform it for the very first time on stage at Queers of Joy so yeah that was just another element of the show that is uh, a real it was an unexpected like highlight of the show we knew it was going to be good but people love it and they get to experience that and then some of them have actually gone on to be a drag king and win competitions so Jim Junkie won the Heaps Gay competition. He started out with us in the very first Queers of Joy. And then some people go, okay, I've ticked that off my bucket list. So I don't need to do that again, but still have a great experience and get to express a side of themselves that they never have before. Yeah, so what I was trying to say was that our shows are really expensive to put on. So yeah, they, they're normally covered with the tickets and stuff. I'm not sure how it's going to work with the live streaming and the videographer and stuff like that. So I'd love to be able to give access to the shows that we've done online and people can contribute if they want to. Although we do have tickets like set up on a scale of how, how much you can pay. So we, for all our online shows, they were $20, $10 or $0. And they, that's your choice, especially when we were reaching like other parts of the world we just wanted to make it really accessible and were people being reasonably generous with that most people pay twenty dollars to be honest great now if our listeners want to give money before that even just now can you tell them where they should on the facebook all the details on your website and well at the moment we're actually fundraising for can we talk about um block 13 the lgbtqia community in kakuma refugee camp in kenya so after our second online show, we were contacted by Lucretia on Facebook. She'd found us on Facebook. She's a trans woman. She's Ugandan and she's in a refugee camp in Kenya. It's the second largest one in the world. There's 200,000 people there. And she's in a um, block 13 is what they've named the area that the LGBTQIA refugees are in. And there's like less than 100 of them and they've got kids. And due to homophobia, transphobia, they're living in fear. There's daily acts of violence intimidation they've had their shelters burnt down a number of times they're sleeping out in the open at the moment and they've been there since march 2020 at least anyway so lucretia contacted me and found queers of joy and she'd been really intrigued by the name and she was like queers of joy what is queers of joy what's queer joy i need to find (laughs) and in her words i need to find the treasure behind the name queers of joy and so we were messaging back and forth and then we ended up having a a whatsapp video call gabriel malika me and and we had an hour with Lucretia and got to hear her story and see how strong and inspiring she is and what a leader she is in her community. She's 22 years old. And for me, I got off the call like, whoa, that is the most profound thing that I've ever done. So we invited her and a few of the people from her community to come on to our, ne- our last online show two weeks ago. So they prepared a couple of performances. She read a poem by someone who unfortunately died in the arson attack and they did a, like a lip syncing to what was the song he oh, we are the world and so we had like over 130 people watching that show and that's the tears that you saw where people just really moved by their story because then we interviewed them afterwards there was lucretia farhad and festo came on and, and we interviewed them then 
we did a fundraiser. We've raised almost $3,000 for them at the moment. We've sent over about $1,300 and they've been able to buy 33 mattresses, some big bags of rice, a cook pot to, to cook the rice in. So, and because they can access shops and stuff within the camp. So if we send over money, it like makes such a difference to them. Oh, wonderful. To be able to uh, donate to that, people can head to Instagram or our Facebook page. And tell us what that is. Queers of Joy? <laughs> yes, Queers of Joy on Instagram. You will you can find the donation links in our link tree. That's also Queers of Joy at linktree dash Queers of Joy. But also at queers.of.joy. Some already had Queers of Joy. Damn them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of joy. <laughs> I never use it either. <laughs> we see you. From the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight. I'm Michael Mack and I'm speaking to the team behind Queers of Joy. I was dancing when I was 12. I was dancing when I was 12. I was dancing when I Step right out the womb. I dance myself right out the womb. Is it strange to dance so soon? I dance myself right out the womb. I was dancing when I was eight. Dance myself out of room. I dance myself out of room. 
June with an exquisite interpretation of Mark Boland's Cosmic Dancer. And now we're back with the team from Queers of Joy. Does the government give you any funding or anything? Is there anything? No, <laughs> we're not really. It's, it's not that we haven't really applied for funds, but at the same time, like we're still quite small and we're still very community based. And I think the main aim of the game is to focus on that part of the show instead of necessarily making it as big as we can. Sure, we'll definitely apply for funding in the future. And if an opportunity comes our way, we'll definitely say yes to it. But right now I feel like arts funding is so incredibly difficult in Australia. It always has been and it probably always will be. And so while things are especially tumultuous as they are right now, I feel like we're more down the self-funding journey. We're talking with Mardi Gras about a special show that would fund the actual show for the Mardi Gras season, which will be a bit different to our regular a regular show and it will be more developing new talent and fresh fresh faces in the community so watch out for that so i can't say much more than that because uh it hasn't all been confirmed yet there is a funding application in but i haven't told these two yet because <laughs> i'm waiting to hear back from them. <laughs> um, and again that's for a special project that would go for quite a few months as well to go on the side of what we already do so the the regular shows that we do we do every two months and that's a that's a really good kind of interval between because then we can really like give all our energy and our love and our passion and community spirit to that show and then also the audience are just gagging for it by the time we come around as well <laughs> gives us a chance to train the new kings but yeah we we look we're going to keep doing that show and it will always re- probably always remain like that because it is such a community show and then we'll do side projects under the banner of queers of joy that may be involving Mardi Gras or maybe involving some funding. But, you know, this is, we're in our first year. The, the only way is up. Have you thought of doing any little touring things? There's a venue here in my region called the Brunswick Picture House. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's an old cinema, which is being done up as a live theatre. And it's, and I think you could do some wonderful things there. Brunswick Picture House. Brunswick yeah. Picture House. And they closed, they closed during the pandemic. They're planning to close anyway because they're going to re- renovate. So it actually worked out quite well, quite well mm-hmm. for them. And now the renovations are done and they're just starting to reopen again. Well, yeah, definitely interested in that. But Malika, do you want to let Michael know and everyone know where we're, we're going? Yes, we have a very exciting venture. Queers of Joy is going to Melbourne, babes. 
Oh, wow. We have a very exciting offer to be playing at the Midsummer Festival. And we are going to have a whole stage for two days and just do what our, what our usual show is, but in Melbourne with Melbourne Kings, Melbourne Act, and us three as usual, and a few of our love, like a few of our regular performers. We're really, really, really excited about it and can't wait to kind of uh, expand our fan base into Melbourne because we know that there are so many trans and gender non-conforming people and non-binary people who are there who would absolutely love what we do. That's the second second and third of February we'll be in Melbourne. The thing about Queers of Joy as well, Michael, is that we don't, you know, we don't just have kings. We, we have queens, we have trans women, trans men, non-binary people, agender people. So we have spoken word, we have musicians. So mm. we try and like, you know, have a really varied night so that people in the audience are reflected on the stage and that yeah they like it's it's a place to feel like you belong when you don't feel like you belong in mainstream society often absolutely and on intersectionality something that is really important to the three of us is ensuring that we have at least a 50% BIPOC lineup just to make sure that queer people of color are at the forefront of what we're doing can we pick maybe five or six performances and talk about them to give our listeners an, an idea of what they could expect. How about we take two each? Yeah, I guess one that jumps out to me is, what, what was her name, Mara? Going by Mara now? Yeah, she did this incredible, it's one of our Zoom events. She did this amazing like spoken word poetry that she'd already recorded. And so she was just playing it through the computer and you can do the thing where everybody hears the sound that she's playing. So that went through really well and then she did this amazing face paint and it was incredibly moving and beautiful beautiful the way that the poetry was orchestrated with the physical movement and the way that her face and body ended up looking at the end with all of the paint was just it was so incredibly incredibly mesmerizing so that's one that I always think about and also it was pretty new I guess another one I think of is a band that I'm involved with and we will be going to Melbourne with Queers of Joy called Boy and Bucket it's just me and my friend playing music essentially as we both identify as trans or genderqueer we just kind of already play with the gender spectrum and stuff while playing like indie acoustic music. So it, it can be it, it can be a very uh, tumultuous ride where we talk about really happy things, really sad things while we're just like both essentially dressed in drag. So it's it's a really lovely thing that we that we like to do. And Queers of Joy has been incredibly supportive of us. I would say one of my favorite performances ever was at I think it was our last live show and it was Imbi who performed. They yeah. are um, they're a non-binary artist they feature a lot on Triple J I believe yeah. and like they're quite well known they make absolutely beautiful music like truly truly stunning stuff and they also did a bit of like spoken word pieces in between each song and it was just to me it was just very moving and very almost like spiritual and very ethereal and they played with their band and I would say my second favorite performance would probably be Fetu who is a dancer and they've performed both on Zoom and live for us. And they are a wonderful, wonderful dancer who really embodies all of their feelings. They've worked with amazing, famous choreographers all over the world. They're a person of colour. They are, and they're just so incredibly talented and moving. It's hard. Okay, I'm not going to say these are my favourites, but they're just standing out for me right now to give the audience an idea of the, the variety. Is um, One is Samuel Luke. 
So Samuel Luke is a, uh, he draws, illustrates comics. He's a trans man. He's a gay trans man. And he also designed a pair of Converse recently. So we projected his comic behind him and he then read it out as he went. And then he also did that for one of our online shows. And every single image, he, he read out what it looks like for anyone that had low vision or was blind. He described every single image and then he read it. And his voice was just so smooth and calming and people were all on the chat saying Sam should like um, do audio books and stuff like that yeah it was just a real it's really moving because he talks about you know pre-transition at, like what he did to, like to sort of uh, communicate with his parents that he wanted to transition and stuff like that so that was really moving and the other person oh who I don't know well, I love all of the drag kings that we have, all of the drag kings, the new groups, but I'll just talk about one drag king who's Axel Rod. So Axel Rod was at our second show and we just had a couple of sort of quite poignant, deep sort of spoken word artists. And then Axel Rod comes along, dressed as a mechanic, sort all over them and stuff like with a car and they've got, they've mashed up these songs and they're just filthy. They're like so but hilarious with it as well. So it was like the perfect thing to happen just after all of that kind of, you know, like poignancy and um, deep stuff. I will never forget how they um, took out the unicorn horn from their pants. And then there was like an entire unicorn that came out of their pants. And it was like the most incredible fake boner I've ever seen. Yeah. And then and then a, and then a shout out to Zaya Barroso, who was our very, very first performer ever, who mm-hmm. sang. And I knew at that moment something special was happening. And also a shout out to Boy and Bucket, because um, that I was going to mention you guys, but you already did. But that uh, you closed our show, which was the third show we did. And we had it was the most tickets we'd ever sold. We had 140 odd people there in the room. And I was sitting I was just standing to the side watching the audience as they were playing and everyone was leaned in just like you know lapping it all up it was like being around a campfire but with 145 people and i just got all these like tingles and i was just like looking going wow look what we did well your enthusiasm and your energy is like leaping out at me here on the (laughs) i just want to go and see you It's just been so lovely to talk to you and uh, I'd like, you know, we should do this again before the next production so we can promote that and get some fundraising going for you. And um, is there anything else you'd like to tell us while we're here? Sounds great. Thanks, Um, I don't really have anything except for thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for promoting us. Thank you, everybody who's listening. Um, Just any little bit of support helps. Just even if you're just soothed by hearing our voices, that's that's enough. We love you all. Lovely. I'm pretty much the same. I'm really grateful that you gave us an opportunity to talk on one of the things that we love the most and what good experiences we've had and been able to have with the community and we're so glad that more people are gaining an interest yeah and for me the intention of queers of joy was always about community and it was always about being connected with people and it was you know started just around the time that I was starting to choose my pathway and my and it ended up being taking testosterone and transitioning and top surgery and stuff with uh, which is in the future you know that community and that connection like we did it, we, we, and we're still doing it. And the fact that we were able to reach people in Kenya in a refugee camp, like that is so amazing to me. And 
like is just testament to what the intention has always been and, and will always continue to make decisions about the show with that intention in mind. It's just been really heartwarming. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Okay, have a great day. You too. Bye, everyone. Bye. See ya. From the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. There's so much noise in the world today. For whatever reason, we all get to have our say But respect for which everybody begs Is hard to find with people so concerned With what's between our legs Now in the past I've caused confusion, it's true But what's the fun of living life, pink or blue? I say, just tell them all to shut up and just be you. Now when I'm at the movies and I'm standing in line, I might hear some guy shout out saying, girl, Well, I may think it's rude, but that old attitude makes me laugh. Or if I'm on the phone and I'm talking so bold, and that operator says to me, Ma'am, please hold. Well, I know it's my voice, it's never been a choice. For me Well I may sound like a dame And my curves make them cry But there is more man to me Than meets the eye No I'm not either or What a bore Says I've marked the wrong box and I wanna yell, step up! Well, I take it in stride. It won't change what's inside of me. Or if I'm at airport security and they send in some chick to start patting me down until she notices my diction and my grammar correct. Does a label do?
tell you that it's do or die. I say buck up. They're the fuck up. Don't let them put the blame on you. We're both the beauty and the beast. We're the genie and the lamp. We're the tramp and we're the lady, though I'm mainly just the tramp. fabulous jinx monsoon with gender binary blues and now we're heading to the other side of the globe to hear adam all tell us about her life as a drag king and deconstructing expressing and reclaiming gender identity hi i'm adam adam all dapper chap gentleman and all-round cartoon flavored human entertainer i live for and work in the uk cabaret circuit the queer cabaret circuit and i'm based right here in london but Today, beautiful humans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Adam isn't real. (laughs) He's an illusion. (laughs) I'm Jen, and I'm a drag king. (laughs) Don't worry if you're not sure. A drag king is an entertainer who assumes the theatrical guise of maleness in and for performance. We're going to thank my drag king brother, Goldie Peacock, for that very succinct description. Thank you. But this is by no means a new phenomenon. Christ, these trousers. (laughs) We're gonna quickly whistle stop some names from our history for you, just to give you a little bit of context. Are you ready? Hold on to your seats. All right. We have records of women performing on stage in trousers alongside men, but in male roles as early as 1660. These were called breeches roles. But the first recorded male impersonator or masher that we have on record is Annie Hindle in 1867, who was brought here by a talent scout from New York and made a huge star on the musical circuit. Other big names from that era include Vesta Tilly, Ella Shields, in the First World War, Hetty King, and in the 1920s, Gladys Bentley fronted a chorus line of drag queens in the Harlem speakeasies. Legend! In 1969, drag king, bouncer, and gay superhero Stormé de Lavery is reported to have thrown the first punch at the Stonewall riots, inciting mayhem against the police in a turning point for the liberation of the queer community. Absolutely amazing. Modern day kings in the 90s, we have Diane Tor, who brought her workshops, Manfreday, here to Europe and toured all over with them, inspiring thousands. She also wrote some really great books. In 1995, there was Dread, which stands for Daring Reality Every Day. And she brought beat poetry and politics to her humorous lip syncs. And she became a huge icon on our scene. Now, some of the big stars that have inspired me on my journey to becoming a drag king include. Landon Sider and Spiky Van Dyke, Ivory Onyx, and that's Phantom in the middle, and Sexy Galaxy there too. Most of these people are based in the US. Uh, the Sexy Galaxy there's in Australia. But there are kings all over the world. 
I have been honored to be contacted by kings from Italy, Spain, France, Germany, yes, but also uh, from Brazil, from Hong Kong, from Vietnam, from Iran. Absolutely amazing to speak to these people who are so keen to connect with our broader king community and share their experiences as drag king performers. There are also lots of different sorts of drag kings. We come in all sorts. Singers, dancers, uh, lip syncers, comedians, magicians, prop and costume makers, aerialists. You name it, we'll put a cock on it. <laughs> we do love it, honestly. But why? Why are there so many people so deeply inspired by this art form? What is it all about? Um, so the only way for me to really get into that is to really talk about myself and my journey. So. Let's go there to little me. I was born uh, the second daughter to a happy family in rural Hampshire. Pretty idyllic, really, to be fair. Um, but everywhere I went, I was mistaken for a boy. Um, it was a bit weird. Confused shop assistants, you know, weird toilet encounters, and some really odd exchanges with some rather disappointed women. <laughs> but um, at times it was frustrating, but at other times it was deeply humiliating, especially at school. And there were whispers and there were comments and there were some insensitive adults and there were some really rather cruel children. I was bullied relentlessly for the way I looked. I think a lot of people just thought that um, I would want to look like a pretty young girl. Why not, you know? And maybe I just couldn't do it. But it just never gave me validation or strength especially when so often I was being judged by the way I looked and not my mind, or being offered help lifting something of a perfectly average weight, which I was doing perfectly fine all right on my own, thank you very much, or wearing a dress. Why do I have to wear a dress? I just feel vulnerable and exposed in a dress. It's not cool for me. And when I did achieve things or excel at something which was labelled for boys, I don't know what that is. I don't know, woodworking, football, maths and science. Um, I was often met with disapproval, sometimes even disgust. And the boys in those groups I thought I could be friends with, they were isolating and cold, and I was met with silence and, and teasing a lot of the time, and that was heartbreaking to feel so isolated. And I never set out to emasculate anybody else, I just want to be myself, you know? In my late teens, I started to explore my gender identity, my personal gender identity. I was part of the queer community by then. I had inspirations from the artwork in Katie Lang's album, Drag, and in uh, the TV adaptation of Sarah Waters' book, Tipping the Velvet, which came out in 2000. That was a big swinger for me. I decided I would create a character that I could take out and it would help express my inherent sense of maleness that was so often, you know, belittled. I suppose. Misunderstood. Um, so, gentle beta male Adam was born, and uh, he was a release, a celebration for me. And in the end, the last laugh. I went out on the town, I won a few prizes at balls, I even made it to the front cover of a magazine. It was brilliant, and in 2008, I finally, I put Adam on the stage, first time. I had to work pretty hard. We drag kings were few and far between. After about five years, I built for myself the beginnings of a career in, in the queer community um, on, on the gay bars and the, on all the bars and the scenes and the stages there. Um, 
But we were still so, there's so few of us. I decided in 2013 I wanted to start uh, something to help people. So I launched Boybox. Boybox, which I launched with my partner, Apple, is a drag king showcase night. And it's right here in London every month. And it is for any new or established drag king to showcase their work and their persona freely on our stage. Absolutely amazing. The last five years, we've seen the UK drag king scene go from a handful to around a hundred. Pretty awesome. It's absolutely amazing. Many of them have had really similar experiences to me and they talk to me about it. Some of them have had far, far worse. Some of them use drag to explore their true identities and some of them use the platform to fight for equality and visibility. And we perform maleness. And when I say maleness, let me just add and clarify, maleness not meaning masculinity. Maleness meaning the full rainbow of beautiful maleness. Great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so much more. Um, we use it to, uh, to liberate. It's a, it's a rebellion, it's a revolution with a fire for recognition so far unattained. What is drag in the end if it is not to attempt to deconstruct, discuss, express, reclaim society's concepts of gender norms, stereotypes, inequalities with passion and with humour, using our bodies and our voices and our minds to liberate not just ourselves, but anyone who's ever felt, I don't know, restricted by the expectations of their gender. So um, I was laughed at for looking like a boy. Look who's laughing now. You're listening to Not Thinking Straight, and I'm Michael Mack. And this is a story from the I'm From Driftwood podcast. Bill, a.k.a. Corinne. And I'm Alex Berg. And you're listening to the I'm, I'm from, from Driftwood, Driftwood Podcast. On today's show, we hear from Jacob and Aaron, who both share stories about living outside the gender binary. My name is Aaron from Cleveland, Ohio. My name is Jacob, and I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. When I was six years old, I was at a playground or a park and I'm playing with a kid there and their parent comes over and introduces himself to me and is like, hey, little guy, like, what's your name? And I tell them Aaron. And, uh, you know, he continues on this conversation with me and I knew that he thought that I was a boy and I was really happy with that. By the time I was around 16, I came out to my parents as gay, right? Like, I thought I was done, that was it. And then I started doing a bunch of gay activism. And as part of that, I started going to some local LGBT events. When I was like around middle school, I kind of had my first realization that people are going to judge me by the way that I dress or that the way that I look could say something about like sexuality. And so I definitely went through a much more like feminine phase at that time until I ended up coming out in high school. One of the things I went to, because I grew up in Raleigh and Chapel Hill is like a 40 minute drive away or so. And so I went to this conference called the Unity Conference. The workshop was facilitated by this person, Terry Phoenix, who is the director of the LGBT Center at UNC Chapel Hill. And one of the things I learned at the very beginning 
was that not all people use the pronouns he or she. Some people use the pronoun they or z or here. I didn't know that there were even options that I could choose from. And so Terry used the pronoun they for the whole workshop. They were saying like, I play with gender. Gender is this thing that I play with. It's like this game. And you know, some days I'm more masculine and some days I'm more feminine and that's, that's okay. And that's part of the fun. And I had never thought about gender as something fun before. It's funny, I've interviewed Jacob in the past. And now if you know or see Jacob, they are like well-known for being very active in this space and making art and writing books and doing all sorts of cool stuff related to non-binary identities. Oh, I love that. It's so nice to see someone coming into themselves like that. It's just incredible. I, I, it just makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also somebody who is like now a leader in this, like it's so cool to go back and get to watch their early story about this. When I was about 15 years old, I had just come out to my dad. We were in the basement talking and, you know, initially his response was pretty positive. He was asking me questions about, you know, saying that maybe he had thought about it before. And he also asked me if I wanted to be a boy. I said no, pretty matter-of-factly. The conversation continued and he just told me that he loved me and he just wanted me to be safe. He was worried about how much harder life would be for me, but he loved me regardless. He cried as well, which is the first time I'd ever seen my dad cry, so an emotional moment. And I went into school the next day or the next week and talked to some of my friends who were also um, organizing in the GSA with me, the Gay Straight Alliance. And I talked to them about like, I learned all these things at this conference. I learned that you know gender is this spectrum, not this binary, that you can play with gender. And I think we should encourage people at our school to do that. We should have a gender vendor day or, or a gender non-conforming day. Let's have a gender non-conforming day. That would be so cool, right? And the two people who were most excited about it with me were these two friends that I had who were dating at the time. And they were like, you know, a heterosexual couple, but they were super jazzed about this gender non-conforming day idea. So when I got to college uh, during freshman orientation, actually, you know, we were staying in the dorm and, you know, going around. I met this guy and we were hanging out the whole time. We got really cool, probably day two into the orientation and we're, you know, hanging out that day and we made a stop to go to the bathroom. You know, I got a little bit nervous and he heads into the bathroom and he's like, oh, are you coming? Do you have to go? And I was like, oh no, I'm fine. <laughs> um, and then in that moment I was like complete panic because I'm like, he thinks I'm a guy. And we're really far in right now. So like, how do I backtrack out of this? So I think it might've been around like lunchtime that day. I know we were sitting down and we just kind of had an opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I was just like, by the way, <laughs> I'm a girl. <laughs> he was just like, I'm, I'm sorry. And then that was it. And then from then on, we just continued our interactions the same way. He just knew not to invite me into the men's bathroom anymore. It was at that moment where I realized like, oh, this is going to be an issue. I had like recently kind of cut my hair. So it was uh, not completely sure, but I had these little like twists that were like some crisscross 90s twists um, in my hair. And so I was like, oh, if I want people to see me as a woman, I'm going to have to do something different with my hair. I'm going to need it to be longer. Um, because at that time I was pretty much like, I know what clothes I'm comfortable in, what I want to wear, but I just have to present you know, my face and my actual, like my body more femininely. At this time, I'm still deciding that I'm identifying as a woman and I want people to see me that way. And then somebody like 
saying like, hey, sir, how are you? And it just catches me off guard because I'm like, how do I interact with you? Like, what do I do now? What Aaron realizes that at that moment is that this is something that they are going to have to deal with over and over again, and they need to find a way to, to navigate it. When that happens, it is something that throws them off and they need to figure out how am I going to be in a way that feels right to me and not being mistaken for a gender that I'm not. Then a week later, I, I was hanging out with one of my friends who is the male counterpart of the couple. And we were hanging out at the mall and we were talking about the idea that we had. And, you know, he says to me, do you think we should just buy some high heels? Like, I didn't even have the script to like respond because I was like, well, I have to say no because I'm supposed to say no. Like, I'm supposed to brush that idea off as stupid, but I don't want to say no. Like, I want to say yes. And so I said yes. So in that process, I started to think like, well, should I just transition kind of? Am I transgender? Like, what does this mean? Do I want to be a man? And so I really liked a lot of research. I was looking up like surgeries and hormones and what all of it meant and what parts were reversible. And I knew that I never, for me, it wasn't an issue of like having an issue with my body or, you know, feeling like I you know, needed to actually change anything. But I was more so responding to the world outside of me. Like, okay, if I just fully present in this way then everything will be fine. And so we went to Charlotte Russe and we go into the store and it's an all women's store. So immediately I'm like, I'm terrified. And so we're sort of breezing past all this various anxiety in the other shoppers and we go to the clearance rack of shoes. I find a size 10 uh, pair of black leather pumps that are about five inches. I grab them off the shelf and I try them on and I, they hurt like hell and they Getting my feet in them is a big challenge, but they went on and they were the only pair of shoes in the whole store that went on my feet. I found that pair of shoes and then my friend found this pair of like purple velvet, like they think they had Velcro, they were really weird. And so we're walking around with our newly acquired purchase and about 20 or 30 minutes later, his girlfriend picks us up. And so we drive to a McDonald's as one is wont to do. We got some food. So we, we were telling her all about the process of buying him, sort of the, you know, the trials and tribulations of the store and how people were looking at us or whatever. And then we both realized, like, we don't know how to walk in these things. Like, we'd never actually walked up and down, you know, more than three yards in them. And so we decide, let's learn, right? Because she can teach us. For about the last decade or so, my dad has worked in uh, shelters around Cleveland, working with the homeless population and people dealing with housing insecurity. Um, and he recently was recruited uh, to start doing these trainings for mediation around the country. And that turned into doing trainings around kind of LGBTQ competency within your shelter and within your space. And he had a training earlier this year and he called me and he's like, hey, I want you to give me some feedback. Um, and as we started to have that conversation, he just started telling me about the things that he was learning about gender. And he was like, you know, I realized I, I never asked you, how do you identify and what pronouns do you use? And I was just like, who am I talking to? Um, I mean, it was like, a, I just just smiled. Like, I couldn't stop smiling. So I was just like, well, you know, that's how I identify. And, you know, it's like sometimes as a woman, sometimes not as either. And I use they, them pronouns when I can. And some people use he pronouns. I mean, I kind of just like explained it out to him. And he was like, okay, all right. And that was it. I mean, he's the first person in my family that I've ever told that to. So it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and so we had this kind of runway coaching moment in the parking lot of this McDonald's in North Raleigh. And I, I'm pretty sure I was terrible. I can't decide if I was terrible just because I wasn't that good and I had to get used to them 
or if I was just so giddy that I couldn't focus. You know, I was like an overachieving high school student, and so I was staying up late to do homework, and my parents would always go to bed before me. And so after my parents would go to bed, I would like scurry up to my room, and I would grab these shoes, and I would go back downstairs, and I would just sit on the couch, like in my heels, doing like my U.S. history homework, and and just sitting, you know, like in these shoes that I realize now were too small for me, like by a lot. It was so empowering to be in my home space, finally letting myself feel a little more like me. You're listening to Not Thinking Straight, and this is a podcast from the I'm From Driftwood Project. I have a weird story and it's going to be weird. It's like, I'm a Trekkie and I love Star Trek. So people are going to be like, that's weird. You're going off on a tangent, but stay with me. <laughs> I am here for the tangent. I'm especially make- here for the Star Trek tangent. So it will make sense in this two seconds. Okay. So I love Star Trek and this is one um, a sort of character in one of the Star Treks, Deep Space Nine, which is, you know, if you're a Trekkie, you, Deep Space Nine is going down the rabbit hole of Trekkie, of, of Star Trek. It, there's this one character who is in in his natural state, a liquid. He's a liquid. He is not a solid, uh, he's not a human. He's He can make himself humanoid with his liquid state. And what I found interesting about that story, which reminds me about this, it was like, at the end of the day, he would have to go back to his quarters and liquefy. And I think that what I, what I think about with the story of uh, Jacob is that if Jacob is in their natural environment, if a place where it feels safe and it's it's home, and then they can also bring that part of themselves, which is new, and they're exploring, and it feels safe to do that, even if the parents were away, that is a powerful coupling that I think cannot, that you really have to look at. Like many of us don't, when we're navigating an identity, don't have that option of expressing that identity at home because you just don't know how it's going to go. I know I couldn't, I, I had to be careful with it. I did more of that once I moved out, but like being at home, I mean, I think I would have done it to some extent, but I still, I would have gotten a little flack for it. Right. But mm-hmm. I love the idea that they were in their home. Mm-hmm. Yes. The parents had gone to bed. They weren't like, they weren't doing it when the parents were, were awake, but there was something to me about the home and the identity that is authentic and being able to express that in that environment that is so important and powerful. I I wish that more people were open to the idea that your gender identity could be whatever it feels like. And it kind of reminded me of having, being in a space where you can experiment with that and that like everyone should have a, have that kind of safe space where they can be experimenting and figuring it out. When I was thinking about this, one of the most impactful things, statements that I learned about gender was Janet Mock was doing an interview once where she, somebody asked her like, do you think there are more than two gender identities or more than three or whatever, however they phrase the question. And she said something to the effect of that she thinks there are like infinite numbers of gender identities and genders that we don't even know about. And I just so strongly believe that. And I feel like a lot of times we hear these conversations about like, just these dominant media narratives that are, you know, of course, like so binary, but I don't know. I just, I, I want to live in a world where like there are, people can be whatever infinite gender identity they feel themselves to be and that it can change and that like they have a place to experiment. I love that so much. And for me, I also want to live in a world where that's possible, but I also want to live in a world where gender is shifting. People are shifting their genders 
at such a pace that it's basically like, if someone's like, what's your identity? They're like, what time is it? <laughs> they're like, looking at their watch. They were like, I'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. at the top of the hour, things might shift. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is the forecast right? for <laughs> 5 p.m. Exactly, I have it. no idea. Right, so it's, yeah. a, it's 3.30 right now at four, maybe talking about something different. And you know what? I'm here for all of that. Do you remember the first time you learned about non-binary identities? You know, I don't think I remember it. I think that when I think about gender, it's such a personal thing for me because I've had to think so much about my gender and, and where I am with it that I think I don't remember the first time, but I will say this. I will say that there can be a pressure. I, and I actually experienced this. This is weird. I never really spoke to anyone about this, but I, I experienced pressure from some of my friends to be like non-binary in some ways. Mm. They were like, but wait, do you really want to use she, her pronouns? Shouldn't you be, you know? And I was like, wow. Like it was like, they were so, they were there before I was. Mm. And I was just like, I feel like I was being carried along by this current, like, okay, but like you guys had to let me work this out. And they're like, but shouldn't you be? I'm like, shouldn't I decide it though? You know, it's this thing. And I mean, luckily, I mean, I did, I got there, but like, there was definitely this thing of like, well, you look like this and you dress like this. So shouldn't you? And mm. I'm like, we got to make room for all of it. We got to make room for all of it. Like there are people, you know, who consider themselves women and they, you know, she, her, and they want to wear men's mm -hmm. clothing. And I'm like, we have to make room for all of this. We cannot define what people's experience is going to be, we have to let them define it. And then we have to believe them when they, like I said, we, have, we believe them at 3.30, at four o'clock, at 4.30, we gotta believe them. Yeah, That's 100%. how I feel about it. What you were bringing up about people kind of like pushing your identity or deciding your identity for you or telling you, this reminded me of the other story. People interpreted them as being male. They're assigned female at birth. People perceive them as being male. And then that perception outside of them made them then question their own yes. gender identity and made them wonder like, am I trans? Where should I be going with my own identity? And it just reminded me of what you said because it's like just how the impact of what other people can say or think, how that yes. can have an impact on you. And for Erin, they said that like, ultimately they identify as non-binary as somewhere in the middle, identifying as trans along the binary. That wasn't right for them. They didn't feel that way. It is. It speaks to kind of what we were just talking about, Alex, which is this is a very personal journey and it, it's going to look so many different ways. And I think what you said about Janet Mock earlier and how there are infinite genders, I think that's true because everyone's going to refine that dial in a way that feels right to them. It's a funny thing, like both for me as a queer femme, for example, sometimes I find myself very empowered by the traditional markers of femininity, you know, like I'm playing with those things, but also at the same time, and to me in some ways, like owning that stuff feels transgressive because mm -hmm. I identify as LGBTQ. So much of, of, I think what we're navigating is what people presume about us and who yes. we are and yes. what we're trying to signal to them about who we are. And yes. I don't even know what it would look like if we didn't have to do that or grew up in a world that, ha you know, was less binary. What do you think this all looks like for Gen Z? I feel like I do see younger people being really open about gender identity. And I even feel like the reason that I now put my pronouns in my bios and stuff like that is because I've seen younger people do it. So do you have hopes for the next generation and their perception and experience of gender? 
Well, you know, being very far removed from Gen Z, <laughs> I feel like I think the thing that I like about it is that I love that it's just become so normalized. I love it. Like at some point, this is not going to be really much of a conversation to be having. I think in that we will see it more normalized in corporate culture, in society in general. Like we're just going to see a shift but it's, you know, it's a gradual shift, but I think Gen Z is doing their part to really make that happen. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, you can get a non-binary ID in certain states now. So there definitely has been progress. After some time, I just kind of got to a place where I was like, I know this isn't it. Like, I know that I don't identify as trans specifically in a way that makes me want to like make any physical transition and I was just like I can just be whatever I can be in the middle I can be sometimes I'm woman sometimes I'm man most of the time I'm neither sometimes I'm both uh, at the same time so um, being okay and kind of coming to terms with that then I just got to a point where I realized like gender is a performance and I can perform it how I want. And so I don't have to fit into one side or another. And I recognize how I can like play around with it for myself and what I can do to make myself comfortable. So for me, it was a relief to just be able to go into the world and just exist and not really worry about what people saw or what people thought. I, I wish I could show myself at 13 who I am now and be like, you're gonna wear gowns. like. You're not just gonna wear heels. You're not just gonna paint your nails once. You're not just gonna put your mom's lipstick on. You are gonna wear a gown at a fancy event and at a dinner and you're gonna turn heads in it. Like, that's what's in store for you, kid. You know, just embrace this faster. Don't be afraid of it, love it. I think something that happens with people around gender identity or the alphabet soup of LGBTQIA+, etc., is that people get really overwhelmed. Just people who haven't been like really enmeshed in the community or haven't been having these kinds of conversations. And I totally get why it can be overwhelming. It's a lot of information. A lot of it's, it can feel very like philosophical in some ways. Yeah. But I actually think there are super concrete ways that we can get at this just by instituting in our workplaces mm -hmm. or communities just making it normal to say what your pronoun is or like putting it on your Twitter account. It just becomes something we all do. And then we never have to have another <laughs> conversation where somebody has to apologize and somebody else has to react. And, and it, it feels like maybe we're moving, maybe with Gen Z, we're like moving towards a place where this will be less common. Coming from a background of, you know, in a family, like my mom was not particularly happy about my gender expression. Like for me to be able to express it, there's a freedom in that. It's very much this idea of like, I get to do whatever feels right to me. Be able to express myself authentically in my gender, it just feels like, it just feels like there are no limits. And I think that for lack of putting it in a better way, it's like I can be as masculine leaning as I want or pull back if I want and no one gets to say how I do that. the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. And now on Not Thinking Straight, I'm thrilled to present an hour of queer comedy. We begin with a story from Risk, a live show and podcast where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. Risk is produced by Kevin Ellison, who has very kindly shared his work with us here. Our first excerpt from Risk is my favourite queer comedian, Julio Therese. 
This set is entitled Craziest Job Interview. Please welcome to the stage Julio Torres! Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hi. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, do you like uh, my shirt? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I just read your mind. Um, it's how I uh, uh, convince people that uh, I'm a star. Um, uh, but you know, I, I, um, I wasn't always a star. I, um, I, uh, I was once a uh, just a meek little liberal arts college student, um, as were all of you. Um, and uh, I remember that when I graduated school, I went to uh, the new school here in New York. And if you know anything about the new school, uh, this makes uh, sense. Yes. When I graduated from the new school, all I wanted, all I hoped for, uh, was to get a nine to five job uh, that would uh, pay for uh, being alive in New York. Uh, that is all I wanted. Um, and I thought, well, I got good grades, so uh, job, here I come. Because <laughs> I, I was very smart, but also very stupid. Um, and I thought, well, I have such a great resume because, you know, during, during college, I was addicted and obsessed with internships. I couldn't get enough of them. I, I was just a, a little internship whore. Uh, <laughs> one was offered to me, and I would say, yes, more internships. Uh, I, um, I was once an intern for this uh, a literary non-for-profit uh, and I would go there and I would sit and then I would leave. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, to this day, I was there for two years. Um, to this day, I couldn't begin to tell you what they do. It's, it was always a mystery. One day I'd like to know. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready for a job. So I, I, of course, I tried applying. Oh, mind you, uh, I, I was graduating with a uh, literary studies degree. Uh, so I, I did what I think everyone does, which is, you know, you email any like professor that was ever nice to you and you're like hey um so um julio i was in your like kafka in architecture class um <laughs> just uh wondering if there are any dogs i can walk um <laughs> but no i wasn't quite desperate yet um and i and i tried for like the publishing jobs and nothing 
I never got an interview, and then I tried uh, just uh, any anything vaguely related to uh, what I wanted to do. Uh, and s someone got me an interview at this place called the Meredith Corporation. Now, I was so happy to get an interview and so confident that the only thing that was stopping me from getting a job was like, oh, they just haven't seen me. They just, they just, you know, once I get the interview, I'll be so uh, charming and they'll just love it and they'll uh, like make me the CEO. Um, <laughs> so I, I was very cocky and I, and I didn't research what the Meredith Corporation was. Uh, so I just uh, showed up uh, and in the lobby, I'm just trying to gather context clues of what this place is. Uh, and I'm like, Meredith Corporation, Meredith Corporation, what are you? Uh, and then I gather from the context clues that they publish very niche publications that cater to like suburban interests. So like uh, gardening magazines and cooking magazines and like, uh, uh, like uh, 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 candles that you're never light magazine and uh, potpourri magazine. Um, so I, I thought I can I can do this. Um, I am I'm very competent. I can write an article for any of these magazines. Uh, so I I go into the uh, the interview, and the first question that the woman asks is, "Why are you interested in a position in sales?" Uh, and I and I I fumbled, and I and I was like, "Well, I like uh, buying things." Um, so I feel like being on the other side of that would be uh, exciting in the natural progression of my <laughs> hobby. I'm buying things. Uh, and then I could get, I could sense that the interview was just becoming worse. Uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was just bombing the interview. And I was like, oh, Meredith Corporation, what am I doing here? I was just like, I was just going so badly. And then there was just a pause when we were like literally just like <sighs> <laughs> And I in that moment thought I'm gonna save this, I'm gonna save this, and then I just said, I love corporations. <laughs> um, and I did not get hired. So then, well, then I decided to do um, something, well, dare I say, risky. Here it comes. You can all guess. I went to the, what's that quote in The Lion King? To that kingdom, to that part of the kingdom where the light doesn't, Craigslist. I, 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 uh, I went to Craigslist. Uh, uh, Mortar. Mortar from Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I... Uh, and then I, I was still delusional because I went to the like writing slash editing section of Craigslist, um, and I I thought well you know I might be going to like this scary neighborhood which is Craigslist but I'll go to like the nice part in the scary neighborhood I'll go to the writing editing section uh, and then I see this ad that says uh, looking for PG friendly stories about tickling. 
and I and I'm thinking, well, this this might be, you know, maybe it's like ghost writing a children's book. Uh, and I I write I write back, uh, and I'm like, well, what kind? You know, I I you know I graduated from the school, and I just uh, I can I can I can write a story about tickling, sure. Uh, and uh, uh, he wrote back. He it's of course. Uh, <laughs> like the worst stories in life involve a he, or are caused by a he. Uh, and uh, he uh, wrote back saying, "Okay, so what I'm looking for is just like uh, uh, fun guys like yourself to uh, videotape yourself talking straight to camera." Uh, no nudity, no lewd language, talking straight to camera, just about how much you love being tickled. Um, and I thought, oh, no, I'm definitely in the, like, the bad part of the town. Right? Um, but then it almost felt like, like a challenge, because... You should know that I uh, hate being tickled. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, maybe I don't hate it, but I, I think I have the, the average person's reaction to it, which is, this is annoying, why is, why is it happening? Uh, so I thought, oh, well, what a, what a, what a fun challenge. Uh, and it paid, I think, I think it paid like $100 per five minute video. Um, and you're thinking, oh, that's, you're making $100 every five minutes? Well, no, because to get five minutes of footage that I was satisfied with, uh, that was like a day, right? Um, so I, uh, I did the first one, and uh, immediately I just slip into this sort of like, like, <laughs> it's like all-American guy uh, <laughs> character. Um, so I just I just start talking about like, uh, um, oh you know like make my big brother I don't have a big brother like my big brother he like uh, he would just pin me down to the floor and he'll tickle me and he'd be like huh, I'm the tickle monster who's the tickle monster and I had to be like huh, you're the tickle monster. Um, but then I just went to college and I got stronger and stronger and I came back home and then I pinned him down to the floor and I was like who's the tickle monster now. Um, he loved it. <laughs> and I was so pleased. And then... And then I... Because I, um, then you think, okay, so like the first one was like set at home, so like the sequel has to be college, right? So the, in, the, in, the, in the sequel, I was... Uh, me and like my buddies, uh, we were going to join a frat. <laughs> and the initiation? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> It just tickled us all night. Um, and he liked that one. Uh, and then, and then I, and then I kind of got too ambitious, and I really phoned it in with the third one. Uh, that was just like it was just about like I was with a friend, and he started tickling me or something like that. And yeah, I got too cocky because then I then he wrote back saying. Uh, this is no longer working for me. I, I don't know that I'll ever heal uh, from that. Um, so I, I had to, you know, 
move on. Um, and then I replied to this other Craigslist ad uh, that said, uh, looking for a magician's assistant. Uh, and I thought, well, that's just fun. Uh, but my first, the first question I asked in the email, the first, and I think the only thing that I asked is, does the assistant have to be female? Or can we just like open our minds and this be like a really like fun thing? Uh, like, can I be the first male? Ma I, don't, I don't know if I would be the first male magician's assistant, but I, I, I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll get a job and make some history while I'm at it. Um, <laughs> so I, I, rep I, I, and he writes back like, no, uh, very like choppy sentences. Uh, like, no, that's okay, meet me for an interview, and then, like, uh, the address of a, a cafe in Soho. Um, and then I go into the cafe, uh, and then I realized, oh, I don't know what this magician looks like. <laughs> uh, but then I see a gentleman in all black and a fedora. <laughs> uh, and I think, oh, okay, good. Um, so I, I sit down with him, and he's with this uh, woman who's just sort of like, her face, her face was just, just grumpy. She, she was just like either bored or tired. She was just like, uh, and not saying, and she, she I, I like said hi to her, and then like, I, we never got introduced, but like I never got her name or anything. She was just like there. Uh, and the, um, the magician, uh, the first thing he says is, I am not magician. Um, and it was like, well, um, uh-huh. <laughs> Please do go on. Uh, and he, he has this very, um, he's a little surly, but he's very, uh, you, can, you can tell that he's like translating from his native language a lot. So he's, he sounds very pensive and he's just taking his time with every sentence. He goes, I am not a magician. I am a saxophone player. And I'm thinking, well, clearly you know the name for the thing you do, so why not looking for a saxophone player assistant? Like, why, why, why are we hiding that you're a saxophone player? That's okay. Uh, in fact, I guarantee more and better responses <laughs> than a magician's assistant. Like, I'm the only one, like, stupid and weird enough to reply to a magician's assistant ad. Or if you're like a saxophone player, like a lot of people would, wouldn't mind doing that. Um, but he's just like, I am a saxophone player. I'm like, okay. He's like, I have a saxophone. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Um, great, you're not like renting. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I have a saxophone. And I play at parties. Okay, people are laughing, people are having fun, it is uh, a wedding, 
It is uh, retirement, uh, a birthday, they're having fun, I am playing a saxophone. They're laughing, I keep playing saxophone, any song, Madonna. They're laughing, and then Dick comes out. I think, um, why? It's like, why? You just said that people were already having fun. These people are at a retirement party, you just said. And then Dick comes out. It doesn't seem like anyone was asking for Dick. <laughs> Um, and he goes, no, 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 I have special saxophone. I push a button and from the hole in the saxophone, uh, like a dick, plastic dick comes out. And from the dick, tequila, vodka, And people laugh, they drink. Um, and I'm still like a little hung up on like, why magician's assistant? Um, it's just a lie after a lie after a lie. Um, and I was like, well, okay. And then his wife interrupts for the first time. She hasn't said anything. She leans over and she sort of like sees me becoming less and less interested in the job. She leans over and she goes, only saxophone in the world that can do this. <laughs> she is, I think, sick and tired of defending this man. <laughs> He's like, I believe in him, he made it. The dick comes out, I'm sick and tired of explaining it to everyone what my husband does. Um, and I, I asked like, well, what would I do? What do you need me for? And essentially what he wanted was someone to um, get him booked for parties. Uh, and he, I think, wanted to charge something like three or four hundred dollars an hour uh, for the, the saxophone. Um, and then he goes, but no one can know about Dick. Dick must be surprised for everyone. <laughs> so not even the person paying for the service, not even the person throwing the party can know that that will happen. I thought about it for a little bit. Like, 
maybe I can I can be the booker. Um, but of course it didn't happen, and I uh, it was just like yet another job I didn't succeed getting. Uh, but that was not my fault. Um, and uh, now I I just do uh, this. I just do comedy, but which seems so much easier than getting a nine-to-five job. Like, I'll never figure out how to, if you're looking for one, good luck. Uh, I don't have any pointers. Just, uh, um, just uh, be, be a star, go, go become a star. Because uh, I, I, don't, I, don't I, don't, I don't know how to guide you. Um, uh, not that this, oh, and I feel like now this devolved into a Q&A where no Q was asked. Um, it started like a commencement speech, and now it's a Q&A. Um, so now I'm just going to go. Uh, but uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. You're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. My name is Rhea Butcher. It's not a fake name. It's funny because it's true. I'm butcher than all of you. I like by a lot, too. I'm really bringing it tonight. (laughs) When I got to my hotel earlier, the valet came running out, and he was out of breath. He was like, oh, my God. Oh, thank God you're here. We have a bunch of manual transmission cars. (laughs) And none of us can drive them. Please help us. And I was like, how many you got? Ten? I'll do two at a time. Let's get this thing done. I love having this last name, uh, Butcher, because I am a lifetime vegetarian <laughs> with the last name Butcher. I've had that irony my entire life, but not too much iron in my diet. Just very, very weak. Honestly, don't even know how I'm standing here right now. <laughs> my muscles are just made out of sunflower seeds and hope. <laughs> I can't wear a Fitbit, it just counts wishes. pointless. I stayed a vegetarian because I like animals a lot. I, I still love them, which is so silly because like if I ran into a lion and I was like, hey, I think you're cool, that lion would not care. <laughs> but I do like animals, so I decided to have one in my life again. I got a puppy a couple years ago, and I come from a long line of cat people. This is my first dog. Long line of cat people, um, and I still love cats. It's just that I didn't know you could have an animal that would appreciate you <laughs> at all. <laughs> And he's great. He's a little uh, terrier chihuahua mix. He's the best. We have the same political views, so it's perfect. (laughs) But as a lifetime vegetarian, I'm running into some conflict raising him because I have to buy him these very specific toys to get him through his day, something called a pizzle stick. Now, for the people that are not laughing immediately at that, it's because that is like a clever marketing term for a dried bull's penis. That is something I purchase with money that I earn at a job. I go into a store, I open a bin, I pick out a dried bull's penis, and I make sure to get a good one because I know what size he likes. But I'm just, I'm conflicted as this lifetime vegetarian with this dog because to me, it's like, it's honestly, it's like I have a, had a baby and that baby is crying. So I took another baby's penis and I dried it. 
And then I gave it to my baby to make him feel better. But it all works out because when I give it to him, I, I throw it and I just yell, eat a dick, and it's fine. So it all works out in the end. I was born this way. I've always been gay, came out super gay, just had this haircut already. I've always, I've always known, I feel like a lot of people have always known, but you know, it's just, it's a process, you gotta figure it out. And when I was a kid, um, my mom would take me to the mall. At the time I had a, a little bob haircut because it was 1991 and Silence of the Lambs was all the rage. <laughs> and my mom would take me to the mall that she worked at. She worked at Joanne Fabrics. I was raised among the remnants, you know? And so we'd go to the mall to hang out, and we'd like run into one of her friends or something, and they'd be like, oh my God, is that your daughter? She's so cute. And she'd be like, oh yes, this is my daughter. This is her, she's adorable. And that friend would be like, you know what? She looks a lot like Jodie Foster. <laughs> and then my mom would be like, oh yeah, it's the haircut. And then that friend would be like, no. It's something else. But despite this rockadoodle haircut and this off-duty lesbian tractor mechanic outfit I have on, <laughs> it did take me a while to come out to my family, I think for a couple of reasons. I'm from Ohio originally, which I like to call the thinking man's Indiana. It's a little better. Being from Ohio, a lot of my family are hillbillies, myself included. Uh, and you might be like, how hillbilly could you possibly be? Well, you know that phrase, shooting fish in a barrel? I've done that. It is not as easy as you think. That's it for me, you guys. Thanks so much.
One from the vaults, Australia's own little Nell with Round Like a Record. From the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. I actually have uh, two older siblings that are biological to my parents, um, so we're not genetically related. And my older brother, a couple of years ago, he also came out of the closet, which is like, wow, you know? <laughs> Just, oh, what a good prank, you know? Oh, it's so delicious to me because my parents, they really rolled the dice there, you know, like they made one themselves, they got one off the rack, they both turned out gay. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what the scientific argument is there, but that feels like nurture, bitch. Okay. <laughs> that feels like something we did to us. What was going on in that house? I bet you wish you didn't vaccinate us now, mom and dad. Did you want two straight sons or two sons without polio? You can't have it all, you know? You can't have it all. Okay, another good spot for me to pause and remind you that it's all jokes. I love vaccines. There are so many in my body right now. Um, just every time they come out with a new one, I'm like, mah, mah, mah. I love it, you know? Uh, I can't stop. I'm addicted to vaccines. I did that joke in a red state once, and a woman in the front row screamed out, you wouldn't have been gay if you'd have been breastfed. And I was like, oh my God. I had no idea there was a scientist in the audience. You know? <laughs> Do you have a peer-reviewed article to share? Like, what's happening over here? I don't understand it. But you know what? I have to say, I think one of the carryovers from homeschooling for me is that now, as an adult man, I don't really buy science. Um, <laughs> I don't believe in it. It doesn't do a lot for me, like just in a day-to-day. -day. Like for instance, I have never one time in my entire life heard a reasonable explanation for what wind is or how it works, you know? <laughs> I've just never heard it. Constantly questioning it, uh, constantly asking it, but never heard an answer. Like does it, uh, do I have anyone in the audience tonight that thinks they know how wind works? Okay, I have one very confident hand back here. Who was it? Who was it? Now remember, no jokes. The jokes stay on the stage tonight, sir. <laughs> so, it's hot, the combination of hot air rising and cold air sinking and the Coriolis effect, which is the earth rotating, which causes the um, air movement to... Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there. Uh, <laughs> that is um, just nonsense. Um, <laughs> So you're saying it has to do with the air going, the hot air going up and the cold air going. The wind goes side to side, sir, okay? Not up and down, oh my goodness. See, this is the problem with science, it's all fake. Um, it's all just words spilling out of a white man's mouth, you know? I just don't believe in it. Not a cent of it. Um, I am so excited, mostly, to get to perform here in L.A., my home. I love this city. It's so exciting. My one beef with L.A. is that it is a driving city, and when I moved here, I had to start driving for the very first time, and boy, am I bad at it. Uh, <laughs> it is rough, and when you're a bad driver with this face, it's a real nightmare, let me tell you. It is... 
No fun. I feel like I've seen every version of, of course, face in L.A. And I don't appreciate that face. I don't appreciate that face one bit. Every time I see it, I just want to roll down my window and be like, excuse me, sir. No, no, no. I'm not a bad driver because I'm Asian. I'm a bad driver because I won't wear my glasses and I text, okay? It's a personal choice. I don't want to be good at this. I will die in my Nissan Sentra. It's just, driving is so hard, you know? Like, there's so many places you're supposed to look, and I can't be bothered. I've just got cooler stuff going on up here, you know? I, I won't. I love L.A. The people here are wild, though. You guys care about a lot of things that I don't care about. Uh, recently, I got in trouble in my own home for trying to kill a spider. My friend uh, was like, no, Joel, if you spare the creature, it will kill the other bugs in your apartment. And I was like, well, that seems worse. I don't want to work from within the bug community to get rid of the bugs, you know? Like, it's so nefarious. Like, what am I, a member of the Reagan administration? You know, like, terrible, okay. I'm so glad some of you understood that joke, because I didn't. Uh, I'm very stupid, you see, but I own it. I find a lot of people these days don't own their stupidity. Like, I am constantly having to end conversations with my friends by being like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't think either of us read enough books to be talking about this, okay? Like, why are we arguing about the estate tax? You're a dog walker and I'm a musical theater major! <laughs> Tough. I was raised in a very stupid community, so I don't really like to go home very often anymore. The only reason I do go home is because my older sister, she still lives there, and she started having babies, and I love being an uncle, and I love spending time with them and just sort of soaking up all the Instagram engagement that I can while they're young. <laughs> I also think it's really important to spend time with them because I don't think that kids are in the cards for me personally. Like, don't get me wrong, I think it's so great that there are so many gay dads in the country. Give it up for gay dads. Um, but I also think it's wrong. I do. Um, and, and that was a trap, and you fell for it. So here's the thing. is that I believe that gay men, we were put here as population control. And I think every time God above sees two gorgeous men raising a child, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You have misunderstood the assignment. Uh, and it must be so frustrating for him because we're so much better at it, you know? Like, just put yourself in his shoes for a second. Like, you've got this national park, and it is overrun with deer. So you release some wolves into the neighborhood to get rid of some of the deer, and then the wolves start raising high-functioning deer, you know? <laughs> oh my God, they named that deer Atticus, and they've opened up a Montessori school! <laughs> it's out of control! I... I clearly, I don't actually believe that I'm joking. Although, my dad did have two sons and they both turned out gay. And I don't think there's a clearer sign from God that he is done with this bloodline, you know? <laughs> I just had enough boosters for one generation. Thank you. The real reason I think I won't be having kids anytime soon is that I am very, very single. Stop freaking out. Um, <laughs> It's, it's all right, though. I'm, I'm out there. I'm on all the apps in L.A. Right now, my apartment is just a revolving door of strangers. And uh, that's fine for me. Some of my friends are a little concerned. They're like, Joel, you don't know these people. Like, aren't you worried that one of them could murder you? And it's like, yeah, that's a pretty big draw for me, honestly. Like, because my thing is, if I've been murdered, I've still been picked, you know? And that, ultimately, is the point of dating. Either way, I get to stop, you know? And what a relief.
I recently went on a pretty promising first date, though. Uh, he took me to a Mexican restaurant here in L.A. that had something I had never experienced before. It had table-side guacamole. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's just a little cart that your server rolls up next to the table, and they make the guacamole right there in front of you. And I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand why we're pulling back the curtain on guacamole. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why here? Why now? There's no theater to guacamole. It's not an interesting process. In fact, it's kind of a distraction. I'm sitting there across from my date trying to walk him through my student loan debt. Meanwhile, <laughs> Danielle can't get the pit out of the avocado. And it's just like... <laughs> There's no mystery there either, Danielle. We all know how guacamole is made. Of all the things to bring back out of the kitchen and reveal to us before our very eyes, why the guacamole? Here's an idea, Danielle. Bring out the lava cake and show me how you got the lava in there! <laughs> so the real mystery! <sighs> so... Long story short, I did not get a second date. Uh, you guys have been so fantastic. I'm Joel Kim Booster. Have a great night. That was Joel Kim Booster. You're listening to Not Thinking Straight. And Julio Therese is back to finish off this special hour of comedy. Put your hands together for Julio Torres, everybody. You should you, you go. You should you should hi hi first of all hello hi hi. Um, you should you should really go see the Huntsman Winter War. It's or 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 as I like to call it, uh, Queen of Gold versus Queen of Ice, the movie. The movie that finally answers the question of the elements: who wins, ice or? Gold. <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but here are some of my favorite moments. Uh, at one point, oh, by the way, most of the movie's about some guy. <laughs> so during most of the movie, you don't get to see the queens, um, but when the queens are fighting, ooh. So at one point, <laughs> at one point in the movie, that one guy, um, he's like, we must stop her or everything we love will be covered in ice. <laughs> then my second favorite moment in the movie <laughs> is when the queen of ice goes up to the, to the magic mirror because, by the way, this is somehow connected to Snow White. <laughs> she goes up to the magic mirror and she goes, mirror, mirror in the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And then the queen of gold steps out of the mirror and goes, does this answer your question? <laughs> Give it a chance. <laughs> but... Also, both queens co-rule the kingdom, and it crumbles in like five seconds. <laughs> the kingdom's like, two queens, we can't. <laughs> Again, give it a chance. Um, okay, I, I really don't mean to get political so early in my set, 
But if I were president, I would begin every State of the Union address with, not to be a bitch, but... <laughs> not to be a bitch, but the economy's doing pretty well, and then people would clap and clap and clap. Uh, actually, uh, uh, if, I, if I were president, I guess my first order of business would be uh, going to uh, uh, America outside of New York uh, just to see what the hell that's all about. <laughs> but I, I've never been, but I imagine it being a lot like uh, Queens. <laughs> it's the, uh, Queens as far as the eye can see. Yeah, I've never been to Middle America, and boy, I just, I just want to see a gazebo before I die. <laughs> um, I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm vegan, and uh, uh, up until earlier today, I thought that the uh, V in a, a V card stood for vegan. So I, uh, I've been making the most embarrassing mistakes. <laughs> I've been like, if I ever lose my V-card, I want it to be a Peter Luger steakhouse. <laughs> so now my friends think I've never had sex at Peter Luger steakhouse. I, uh, I went to the doctor, and the doctor told me that I was uh, very underweight. And I was like, stop it. Shut up. <laughs> You're underweight. <laughs> he wasn't. He's just like regular size doctor. But he was being so nice, I figured. <laughs> just say something back. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not American. Uh, I'm, I'm originally from El Salvador. And I, I... Something I've been hearing a lot lately is people going, oh, if Trump wins, I'm moving to Canada. Or if, oh, if Trump wins, I'm moving to Europe. Uh, as, a, as an immigrant, that feels a lot like when you finally get to the party and your friends are like, I think I'm gonna go home. <laughs> so I think I'm just, I'm just really tired. I have to work tomorrow. And you're like, oh, no, great, that's fine. It's not like it took thousands of law lawyers and just so much money to get to the party. No, that's good. That's okay. Um, when, I, when I die, uh, I want to get cryogenically frozen so I can wake up in the future and uh, uh, keep trying. Um, I was thinking, the hardest part about being immortal uh, must be watching all of your family and loved ones age and have to go, no, you look fine. <laughs> like, no, it's fine, you look fine. Uh, when clearly they're getting old. Um, for this next little thing that I'm going to do, I, you know, because of where we are and what the, what the event description was, uh, and what I was introduced as, 
you know, you, you, there's a certain expectation that I'm gonna do uh, comedy. I don't know if this thing I'm about to do is that. Um, but maybe it's a movie. Um, okay, for this next thing, uh, this next piece, uh, imagine that I'm an archeologist, I'm in front of a wall of hieroglyphs, and I'm holding a lantern. There she is again. Different civilization. Different century. Same name. Shakira. That's <laughs> <laughs> that. You know what it is? It's the beginning to a Shakira music video. How do I... Her, her email is probably just shakira at gmail.com. <laughs> right? Statistically speaking, her email is probably just shakira at gmail.com. You know, I, I was never a big fan of Lord of the Rings. I never got what the fuss was all about until... I realize that it's, that it's a three-book epic saga about destroying a hideous piece of jewelry. <laughs> so the, the story is essentially just a bunch of characters going, wait, no, I want to try it on, I want to try it on. And the hero being like, no, it's hideous and it must be destroyed. <laughs> and at some points you're like, Ooh, actually, I think he can kind of pull it off. Let's see how it looks on him. And it's like, no. No, 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 no. Destroy it. And then they succeed, which is good. Gold, it's just so tacky. Um, this next piece, okay. This is a uh, uh, John Malkovich pretending that the shirt he's wearing didn't come from Urban Outfitters. <laughs> it's John Malkovich pretending that the shirt he's wearing didn't come from Urban Outfitters. I, I don't know. Maybe I can't remember. If anything, it was probably a gift. I'm done with that one. Um, you know, lately I've been, I've been a little stressed because I, well, I, I, I got a hospital bill in the mail and um, I don't have insurance. Uh, so just, just seeing the, the amount the hospital bill was for was so disconcerting, but more than anything, it was just very confusing because I just didn't, when I, when I got the hospital bill, I was like, oh, fuck. 
I don't get it. I just don't get why it's that high. Oh, I see what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I got it with avocado. $55,000 for extra avocado. Yeah. Um, my, uh, uh, my friend uh, uh, Brad had a birthday recently, and I, uh, I, I didn't know what to get him. Now, I, I, I really don't mean to generalize, but my friend Brad, he's, um, uh, he's, he's straight. Um, so I, I got him the one thing I know straight guys really, 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 really like. I got him a, an empty Gatorade bottle to put in his room. He can use it as like a little trash can, I guess, or he can like put. <laughs> he can put quarters in it. I don't know. He's very happy with this empty gate right now. Okay. To end, uh, I'm just gonna do a series of little celebrity impressions. Uh, so from this moment, I am uh, uh, merely a vessel. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, I, 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 no, I don't know what to say. The, uh, the bandanas, the backpacks, the tattoos, the hats. I, I, I certainly didn't plan for it. I, I, I mean, I welcome it, and, and, and I'm incredibly honored. But no, I, I never saw it coming. Uh, that was a uh, uh, Betty Boop uh, talking about how, for whatever reason, she's a Puerto Rican icon. <laughs> How did that happen? She's like a, she's a flapper, right? That's the backstory. She's a depression era dancer. <laughs> Here's another one. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Uh, that's uh, uh, Tilda Swinton uh, putting her baby niece to bed. <laughs> Hi, excuse me, we're gonna make two stops. Uh, that's just uh, me being a real bitch inside of an ambulance. You know, every day I tell myself, Julio, figure out how to end a set. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Tomorrow's another day, I guess. I'll figure it out then. 
Uh, I'm done. Thank you. Thank you so much. Julio Torres, everybody. When I was 22, the day that I met you, and you took my hand through the or those notes by Eli Lieb it's time to say goodnight
From the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you've been listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye. Well, you can twist and Falling rain I drive a Rolls Royce Cause it's good for my voice But you won't fool The children of the revolution Now you won't fool The children of the revolution Now, now